third, three-year-olds through fifth grade. That's uh, the uh, education classes I had in school would say that's a broad range. So <laughs> we should remember to pray for uh, our, uh, our volunteers. Um, and I'm glad we got a new playground because uh, you can learn a lot on the playground. A lot of politics, a lot of theology on the playground. So uh, we've been looking at Second John. Uh, the reason for that is Second and Third John speak to us about the love of God manifesting itself in the life of the church, and particularly in the way we stretch to greet, love, and receive one another. And so coming out of the pandemic, we need to do that, right? And so that's, that's why uh, we've uh, I've chosen this kind of fairly obscure uh, text for us to look at. So um, before I read uh, 2 John uh, 5 to 11 uh, this morning, let me pray, and then we'll uh, jump into this passage. Lord, we thank you today for, um, well, just your goodness. Uh, Lord, I was reminded uh, this week uh, that through the last 14 months, uh, as far as we know, no one has uh, gotten sick as a result of being in worship uh, or in uh, any of the ministries of the church. And Lord, we don't take that for granted, and we don't think that's because we were so good with protocols or any of that, because frankly, we're, we're terrible at those things, but that you're good. And as we grieve what's been lost, and we enjoy what uh, lies ahead. We pray for uh, peace and grace, for mercy, for courage, uh, and for uh, new life. Lord, you uh, are in the business of calling dead things to life. And so um, if our hearts are dead this morning, bring them to life. Uh, If Uh, Our relationships are dead this morning. Bring them to life. Uh, If uh, you are the life-giving spirit, and so would you do that work in us by the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, 2 John uh, 5 to 11, text is uh, in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. And let me just say something real quickly about the bulletin, another editorial comment. If you, if you were coming here before the pandemic, we would give you a book every week. You remember those days? Remember that big, thick thing? I don't know if we're going to do that because there's too many words. And um, uh, we, we're trying to drive people more and more to the website uh, to get the word out about things. So uh, we'll, we'll sort that out. Uh, but I really like this format. And so um, um, those of you who don't have a computer or phone, it might be challenging, but I, I, think, I think a lot of people have those. And so I think, um, I think we might lean more towards that as we uh, emerge from the, uh, from the pandemic. So Second John uh, 5, uh, verses 11 to 11, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So just to get into the context of this text a little bit, you may be reading that and it's like, now I ask you, dear lady, who's the dear lady? Well, this is the Apostle John, uh, maybe as old as 90 when he is writing this. Uh, and he is uh, writing to a church where he has recently come across some members of that church who he saw living the truth bearing witness to the gospel, serving, loving. And so he's writing to that church to say, hey, this was so encouraging to me, and, and it was so great to see that, so I'm going to continue to tell you to keep doing that. And so he's writing here to remind the church about uh, the commandment that we have to love. Now, uh, one of the things that's difficult about love is we talk a lot about love uh, uh, Everywhere you go, somebody's talking about love, right? Uh, the problem is that what we do with that is we, we make love something less than what the Bible says it is. Um, and so we have to be very careful about that. Sometimes love just feels like tolerance. Uh, sometimes love just feels like uh, going along. Uh, and, 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 and sometimes love is tolerance. And sometimes love is covering over a multitude of sins. Um, but one of the things that happens, particularly in our own uh, 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 part of the church, in our own uh, part of, 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 well, the, of the kingdom of God is, we, one of our strengths, and it is a strength, and it is something that matters a lot. In fact, uh, without this, uh, we would not really be a church, and that is that the truth is clear, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, as, as John says here, he lived a sinless life, died an atoning death on the cross, uh, turning aside the wrath of God due to our sin, that he was really dead, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 of his followers. He ascended into heaven uh, at, the, at Pentecost. He sent his Holy Spirit upon his church, and that those things are, the, are, are they matter. And, and the church, if the church loses those things, it becomes less than the church. So let's be clear about that. The authority of the Bible, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ are non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. But if that's all we have, uh, then we're not really a church either, are we? And I want to be clear about that, that, you know, one of the things that we do is we try to play truth and love off, off one another, but you cannot do that. And the, the New Testament has no view for that. Like we think, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth now, uh, and that somehow that's not loving. Well, no, it is loving. Now, you can tell the truth in a terrible way. Uh, one of the things we say in our family often, you know, we, we have a member of our family who will say, listen, I'm just being honest. Uh, and honesty really matters to me. And I'm like, well, you know, you're halfway there. You know, 
Uh, honesty's good, but it ain't love. And love's the goal, period. I'm being honest. <laughs> right? So, and, and one of the things that happens to us is, is because the truth matters so much to us, we, we think that sometimes that uh, there's a slippery slope, right? And that if we make a decision or we do something or, or it seems like we're compromising with an aspect of the truth, then we are uh, heading down the slippery slope to being no church at all. And we need to guard against that. We need to be very careful that that's not true. We need to hold one another accountable to what the, to what the, the scriptures, what the gospel declares. However, there's slippery slopes all over the place. You can fall down the slippery slope of having the truth and no love. Let me say that again. You can, you, you can fall down the slippery slope of having the truth because frankly, in many ways, the truth, just believing the truth, just holding to the truth, just, just confessing the truth in some ways is easy. But for the power of the Holy Spirit to take that truth and transform self-seeking, self-righteous people into people who are passionately in love with their enemies is something dramatically different. And so what, what John wants to say here is, as he is unpacking this, this situation for this church is, he's like, listen, what I want to say to you is an old commandment, right? Uh, I'm not writing a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, we just read it from Leviticus, right? Uh, that, that we love our neighbor, right? Jesus was very clear about that, right? When the, when the Pharisee comes to him and says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus messes with the Pharisee by telling him, you know, who's, who's the neighbor to the Pharisee? The, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, if, if God loves us, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but if God loves us, we owe the debt of love to everyone. And that debt of love may include rebuking them. It may include challenging them about some sin that is being indulged or some unbelief that is being indulged, but, but it, it never, ever means that I can wash my hands of you. If we're in the church together, we need to protect one another. We need to love one another. And in love, we need to challenge one another. Now, here's the thing about this that's, that's, that's important for us to understand is this. Love is hard. Now, now we don't believe that, right? Because we, we, have, we, we have this view of love that you know, the people that you love, it's just easy to love them. You fall into love, right? You just fall, and you just love them. But the fact is, where love really, uh, the, where, the, the, where the love of God really begins to meet uh, our needs and meet reality, it's hard, and it always involves sacrifice and death. That's why when we make commitments to love, we often take vows, that we make promises, that we have witnesses, other people around us who, are, who say, you know, I was there at your wedding, I saw you make those promises, and I am here to help you love, because love is hard. Love the way the New Testament talks about it 
is hard. Wonderful, beautiful, life-giving, but everything that is wonderful and beautiful and life-giving can be hard. So here's the thing that we must see here is that what John's doing here by giving this commandment, not giving, by giving not a new commandment, but an old commandment, is that we don't fall into the trap to think that we are justified by our love or that we are made right with God by our love or that somehow or other God won't love us unless we love. Because here's the thing that is so, uh, uh, so hard for me today, so challenging for me to talk to you about this is because you and I have a tendency to take the love of God for granted. That you and I have a tendency to say, oh no, they're in the church again talking about love. Can we talk about something more important? <laughs> right? Can we talk about something that impacts my life more. When in fact, what John wants us to understand and the whole witness of the New Testament is this, that we love because we have first been loved. I love this Marilyn Robinson quote where she says, you know, as speaking about love, it all means more than I can tell you, so you must not judge what I know by what I find words for. In other words, to talk about how rich and profound and wonderful the love of God is, is really hard because it's something we take for granted and it is something that is also so big and huge to understand that, that we are loved so deeply and so profoundly that that shapes us into a loving community that we would not naturally and normally be is something, is something uh, it's hard for us to, to think about. My mother told me years and years ago, uh, my mom and, and dad um, uh, sent Valentine's Day cards to each other. Well, my dad sent a Valentine's Day card to my mom every day or every year from the time uh, they were 11 years old until my mom died at 86. 75 Valentine's Day cards. They loved each other intensely. My dad was madly in love with my mom, and when she died, that was what probably killed him. He broke his heart. My mom would always accuse my dad of grandchildren worship because he had the right philosophy about grandchildren, and that is you don't ever tell them no. You only redirect them, right? And so she told me, she's like, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. You know, your father loves me more than anybody. He loves you boys. He loves, he loves you a lot. But the, the, the intensity that he feels for his grandchildren is something altogether different. I just blew that off. In fact, I would get personally offended when we would go to see them, and they would be like coming out of the house. We'd be getting out of the car. They never said a word to us. Never looked at us, went straight to the back seat, oh, go to the car seats, pick the kids up. They're like, and they're in the house, and we're still standing out here carrying the luggage in. <laughs> I never understood that until I had a grandson. I was looking at him yesterday, and I could feel it in my chest. I just want to touch him. I just want to kiss him, and I'm not like that. 
I look at him sometimes and I, it's hard for me to breathe. I love him so much. Did you know God loves you like that? Did you know that? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Here's how I know he loves you like that. Because the Father and the Son love each other like that. And they, in love, sacrificed so that you would have your sins atoned for. The Father gave up that which was most precious to him, what made his chest tight, for you, for me. When we were his enemies, when we were living as if there was no God, as if there was no creator, as if we were our own God, And yet when that happened, his love compelled him to do that for us. You see, that is what we're talking about when we talk about love in the New Testament. We're not talking about simply warm feeling. We're not talking about something that is, you know, we are naturally attracted, those sorts of things. It is something that is so intense that it compels all kinds of sacrifice and, and of setting aside of, 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 of so much of ourselves for the sake of the other. And so we look like Jesus Christ. We look like the Father. We look like the Spirit. We, we begin to look like the community of the Trinity when the church behaves that way because we've been loved. Next slide. Uh, Leon Morris says this, repeated often, the command is clear, new and old, is the first great duty of Jesus' followers. Some people think that it is clearly important, but that it needs redefinition because we think of love as an involuntary emotion, they argue. We should interpret the biblical command to mean that we're just simply to do the right thing, but we must remember that the New Testament writers are concerned with a different kind of love To them, love, first of all, means God's spontaneous, unmotivated love for sinners. The love that proceeds from God's essential nature. When the sinner receives and welcomes this love, he finds that God's love kindles love in him. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by how you love, by the fact that you love one another. And so so we bear witness to the fact that we have been loved when we love. And we bear witness that we have been loved when, when, when we love, when we, especially we love those with whom we differ. Now, let's be clear about that. This, John wants us to understand that, but, but lest you think that this is some sort of soft tolerance or this is some sort of thing that is just, you know, it's just this warm, squishy thing that we do, like a marshmallow, what does he say? The church must be kindled by the love of God to love one another. Why? Because that's for our protection. Because there are what he calls antichrists roaming about in the world who would take a distorted gospel and mislead people. And so we need each other in love. The protection that the church provides is that people will love me enough to continually remind me of the truth that there are people who will love me enough to bear with me, to be patient with me, to forgive me, 
to reconcile with me, to walk with me in things that are difficult. When things are hard, they'll walk with me. They'll, they'll share my burdens, but they'll also tell me the truth when I'm tempted to believe a lie. And that's why he has these harsh words for those people who might come along and who might try to mislead the church or might take them away or, or, or mis, uh, convince people that the gospel's not true. He's not having any of that. If someone says they're a Christian but pre proclaims a gospel to you that is not the, 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 about the incarnation and uh, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners, then, yeah, they're not a Christian. You shouldn't treat them as such. You shouldn't offer them the same kind of hospitality if they're claiming that here's the truth and they give you a distorted gospel. Mm-mm. That's dangerous. And John recognizes that as we love one another, we will, we will proclaim, we will love, we will patiently bear with one another to remind each other, to protect each other about what the nature of the truth is. You know, it is, uh, there are some people who just love going around rebuking people I mentioned this last week, we must beware of prophets who have no tears. I think, that's, I think that's, 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 that says enough. But at the same time, we must love one another enough, right, to patiently, carefully, humbly tell each other the truth. And that's what John wants this church to do. But that's not all. He wants this church to experience the love of God in such a way that the dynamic of that and that the power of that changes not only the relationship within the church, but changes the church's role in the world. Um, I uh, read the uh, New York Times uh, editorial page on a regular basis, uh, several times a week. Uh, I, I like it. It's usually well-written. Having said that, don't start screaming about, you know, the liberal bias of the New York Times editorial page. Gee, you think it is? Really? Who told you that? I know that. <laughs> okay? And so now I'm sure if I say something suspect, there, people are going to be like, that Steve, man, he got that idea from that liberal New York Times. I don't need the New York Times to, to mislead me. I'm quite capable of misleading myself with what goes on right here. There's a writer that I like, one of the guys that I like, super, super progressive. His name is Nicholas Kristof. Kristof writes a lot about the poor and the underprivileged. He writes a lot about the third and fourth world. He, he has a real heart for that. He has real animosity to the gospel. He has real animosity to the church. But in the last year or so, I've read a couple of columns by him, and that's changing a little bit, a little bit. And what's changing him is when he goes to places where, where disease is ravaging a community or when he goes to a place where it is dangerous because of war or genocide, he says that he sees something and all of those places, and that is that there are Christians there serving the sick, trying to reconcile people, feeding the hungry, 
taking care of orphans. He writes about nuns that are in places where no woman in her right mind would ever go or be. And they're giving it up there for Jesus. And though he would say he could not agree with nuns about their stance on life, that gives him pause. Because there's power there. And you know why there's power there? Not because those nuns are great or because of those Christian doctors or, or because of those Christian aid workers are so great. No, no, the power is the world is dying for the love of God. And the love of God is demonstrated when Christians captivated by a father's love pour it out at risk to themselves because they know they're loved. And come what may, come what may, the truth of the gospel sets me free so that the mark of my life is love for my enemy. So as John writes these words, he says, you know, I was so encouraged to see the truth and love bearing fruit in some of the people from your church. May it be so. May it continue. And, and, and may this love be the protection that we need, the protection for one another as we live in a world that is hostile to the truth. Now, that's nothing new. Let me be clear about that. Hostility to the truth of the gospel, you know, sometimes people think, oh, yeah, back, back in the good old days, you know, there was no hostility to the gospel. There's always been hostility to the gospel. If, if, if there wasn't hostility to the gospel, then the gospel wasn't being preached, and it certainly wasn't being lived out. Listen, if the Spirit of God is alive in us, and I believe he is, then he will press upon us the unending, unremitting love of God on us. And he will take selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed people and change them. I am concerned that we have grown calcified and hardened in the last 14 months. I feel it in myself, and so I can only expect that it's true of many of us. What will change that? What will move us? What will give us the gift of repentance, the, the gift of joy, the joy of sins forgiven, is the truth that Jesus loves us, and he has set us free to love. Let's ask for him to do that. And let me just say, maybe, maybe you like being hardened. Feels good to you. Maybe you like uh, being kind of cold, withdrawn, and right. John has some words for you. A commandment brothers and sisters, because of the love of God for us, we love. We may need to be broken. We need, may need to be challenged. 
We may need to be put in very difficult and awkward situations. But the goal of that is that the love of God manifests to us in the cross of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, would change us forever. Let me pray. Lord, we, we come to you today thanking you for this. Thanks that we uh, have this commandment. Thanks uh, that we have the truth. I pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to just uh, rest on the laurels of the truth, but that that truth would bear fruit in love. Love for you, uh, love in most particular for our enemies. And so, Lord, would you do that work? Uh, as I said earlier, you raise the dead. You're a life-giving spirit. And so, would you do that work uh, in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, uh, in our community, and in our church? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's uh, use this confession of sin that's printed in the bulletin. Uh, this, um, uh, and it's also up on uh, the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we confess that in our thoughts, words, and deeds, we have sinned and grieved your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Rather than be led by you, we have followed the spirit of our age into self-reliance and self-worship. You created us for fellowship with yourself and one another, but we rebelled and made enemies of our maker and each other. We have acted as if the cross of Christ had no power to reconcile us to God. We have lived as if there was no spirit of God convicting, sanctifying, encouraging, and helping us. Forgive us, good Lord, and give us grace that we might eagerly forsake our self-directed paths and keep in step with your spirit. Amen. church hear these words of encouragement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies.